This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast on gout. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm clinical director at BMJ. The prevalence of gout in the Western world is about 1%, with a male-to-female ratio of 8 to 1. And gout is becoming more common. This may be related to lifestyle changes and increasing obesity. Gout is a painful, acute condition that can also lead to chronic complications, so it's important that we get it right. To help us, we have on the line Fadi Badlisi. Fadi is Assistant Professor at Harvard Medical School and Director of the Musculoskeletal Medicine Unit at the Department of Orthopaedics and Division of Rheumatology, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. Even more importantly, Fadi is author of our BMJ Best Practice topic on gout. So Fadi, you're welcome. Let's start off by asking, what exactly is gout? Hello, thank you, Kiran. Uh, so gout is simply a hyaluric acid level leading to extracellular urate saturation, which uh, leads to crystals formation, and the crystals can uh, lead to acute joint pain and swelling, chronic tophaceous gout. They can deposit and cause tophi and kidney stone and uh, urate nephropathy as well. Okay, thank you. And can you tell us about recent advances in diagnosis? So the diagnosis, still the gold standard is to confirm the diagnosis by finding the crystals with a polarized microscope. Um, <clears throat> you don't have always to have that. Uh, if you have a good, uh, strong clinical history uh, of gout with recurrent podagras. But uh, the advances in uh, diagnosing of gout, diagnosis of gout is mostly uh, now in the imaging field, which uh, includes ultrasound and also uh, uh, 3D uh, CT scanning uh, and crystallography uh, to th- that uh, it's getting better and better in, try- in showing urate deposits uh, in the joints uh, and uh, in the bones. Um, so that's it's not still widely used clinically though. And what are the common pitfalls in diagnosis? Sometimes it uh, could be uh, missed if it has a atypical presentation, let's say it's not in the typical joint where you expect gout to be, like in the foot. Also, some patients are, and those are minority, uh, they are in the stage of intercritical gout when they are not really having an acute joint pain or swelling, but kind of intermittent milder pain that comes and goes, those could be missed. And also if it could be mixed up with other diagnoses with, of inflammatory arthritis, such as uh, CPP disease, infection, and rheumatoid arthritis. Sometimes uh, chronic tophaceous gout could appear like rheumatoid arthritis, and the treatment uh, really differs uh, uh, significantly. So that's uh, an important uh, thing to keep in mind, that gout could present as a chronic tophaceous gout without a previous history of acute gout attacks. Okay, that's really helpful. And let's move on to management now. Can you tell us about recent advances in management? Unfortunately, uh, we don't have actually great uh, advances in management uh, recently. Uh, they are, uh, we still have the same medications in general in the US, uh, some differences with the UK. Um, 
lisinolad was approved in both countries, which is oat inhibitors. Let's see, cause uric acid agent, and that's the drug that was most recently approved was like around four years ago in combination only with fibuxostat, uloric, or allopurinol. Um, but uh, other than that, in the U.S., we don't have anything new. There are more drugs in the pipes uh, that uh, there is a new category of drugs, phosphorylase inhibitors, which uh, use a different mechanism in suppressing uh, the production of uh, urate. So that could be promising, but that's still in, um, I believe, in phase two trial. Um, so uh, uh, management-wise, unfortunately, we are still uh, lagging, lagging behind in uh, in regard to new, efficacious and safe medications. One of the reasons that we're doing this podcast is because there's been a recent alert about a, a drug, Febuxostat. I wonder, can you tell us about this drug and also about the alert? Yeah, so uh, so there were some, uh, there were reports of increased uh, cardiovascular events and cardiovascular mortality with uh, Febuxostat. The um, uh, last year, also, there was the CLEAR study, which was published uh, comparing uh, allopurinol to febuxostat in patients with gout and who already have a cardiovascular disease. And uh, the, they found, actually, that there was slightly increased total cause mortality and cardiovascular mortality in the febuxostat arm compared to allopurinol. Uh, the primary endpoint actually did not defer. Febuxostat was not inferior, but the primary care point did not include only mortality. It did include also uh, strokes and uh, cardiac events that uh, required acute catheterization, emergency catheterization. Uh, and that point was not different between. But when they looked at the mortality alone, there was actually a difference. So. There's an ongoing trial of five years now to look more into this. So what I would say about that, I mean, there's definitely some signal, and um, that's why the FDA issued the warning. So I would be careful with using Febuxostat uh, in patients who have uh, active cardiovascular disease. Uh, and I would be just monitoring closely and make sure that if they have cardiovascular risks, that those are appropriately managed and treated, such as hypertension, hyperlipidemia. And I would try not to use it as a first line in those patients. I would try, to, you, you tend usually to use uh, allopurinol or uricose uric acid drug in that case. And what are the common pitfalls in management? So I would say the most common two, and, and, and those are, that, I mean, I think if uh, journalists and internists just uh, avoid those two pitfalls, they can manage most of the gout without problem. So the first one is uh, to know when and how to use uric acid-loading drug. So those uh, in patients who are having who are having frequent attacks, definitely in those who have tophaceous deposit. And if you're starting with allopurinol or fibuxostat, you want to really start at a lower dose to prevent gout flares, and also in allopurinol especially, to reduce the risk of hypersensitivity reaction, which could be quite severe with elevated liver function test, rash, fever, and there's some mortality associated with that. And the other common pitfall is that you start uric acid-lowering drugs without suppressive therapy. 
such as colchicine or low-dose NSAIDs. Uh, it's critical to do that because that will help preventing gout flares initially. Because initially when you start uric acid-lowering drug, you increase the risk of gout flares because of the fluctuation in the uric acid level and the saturation. So the, your patient might actually resist taking those drugs later on because they realize that they are having more gout attacks if you don't give them a suppressive therapy. So in my opinion, suppressive therapy is a must. Uh, it is a recommendation in most guidelines. Again, at least for the first six months until you reach a stable dose of allopurinol or fibuxostat and a uric acid level at the target of below six milligram per deciliter or 300, roughly 360 micromole per liter. Uh, until you reach that target and no attacks, then you can stop the suppressive therapy such as like low-dose ibuprofen, low-dose uh, NSAIDs, or your low-dose colchicine, such as 0.6 milligram daily. But that's that's the most common, I think, in my opinion, reason for a failure of treatment of gout and for a referral actually to a rheumatology specialist. Okay, thank you. That's really helpful. Uh, any other pitfalls, I wonder, besides that one? Uh, so this one, the first one I mentioned briefly is that to know when when to use uric acid lowering drugs. So if you have a if patient you're having is frequent attacks like more than two per year, or if they have to facious deposit like those lumps of uric acid deposits, uh, then in those patients you should use uric acid lowering drugs. So you don't want to do only acute management for those patients, such as treat their attacks with NSAID or steroids. No, you need to treat those with a long uh, term medication to lower the uric acid level to prevent gout flares. So that's the other pitfall is the delay or the not use uh, appropriately of uh, uric acid lowering drugs when they are indicated. Okay, great. Thank you. Got it. And what about, say, if a patient was on allopurinol and they have an attack of gout, should you stop the allopurinol during the attack or continue it? No, so so you should continue with the allopurinol. So in the long-term drug management for the uh, with uric acid-lowering drugs, you should maintain those at the same dose, especially if they are having an attack. So you shouldn't play with that, not decrease it, not increase it during the attack, but you should treat the attack as you treat any acute gout attack in those patients. And then later on, probably they after the resolution of the attack, probably they're going to need at some point to increase the allopurinol dose or uh, to, again, lower the uric acid level and prevent further attacks. Um, and probably at, at that point also, they should be on also suppressive therapy while you're, again, titrating the allopurinol dose. Again, colchicine or low-dose NSAIDs. Sometimes colchicine and low-dose NSAIDs are contraindicated for different reasons in some patients for uh, suppressive therapy to prevent gout flares during the initiation of uric acid-lowering drugs. So you could use in those situations low-dose prednisone. I use that like around 7.5 to 10 milligram, the lowest you can get away with without recurrent flares, again, for the initial period of uh, initiation and titration of uh, uric acid-lowering drugs. Okay. So when when changing, possibly increasing the dose of allopurinol, it's a good idea to cover that with NSAIDs. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, or low-dose colchicine. But usually, I mean, when you're changing the dose of the allopurinol, you're still in the first titration period. So, so really, my 
original recommendation stands is basically those patients should be to begin with on low-dose NSAIDs or low-dose colchicine as a suppressive therapy when okay. you're activating the dose. Moving on to colchicine, there's often a lot of controversy about kind of starting doses of colchicine during an acute attack. What what do you generally recommend or what do most guidelines recommend in terms of doses of colchicine during an acute attack? Yes, yeah, so, uh, <clears throat> so, so yeah, we have to keep in mind like uh, a separate approach of the treatment of gout, like there are two, uh, two treatments. One, think about gout as acute gout, and that requires different course of treatment. And then the chronic long-term treatment, which we mentioned before was uric acid-lowering drugs and suppressive therapy. Now for the acute treatment, uh, the uh, a study about colchicine showed that low dose is as effective as high dose colchicine. Low dose meaning you take two tablets of 0.6 milligram of colchicine once, and then you take another one in six hours and you stop. Uh, high dose, you take basically one tablet every half an hour, up to six tablets total in a day, uh, <clears throat> until you have, uh, uh, until actually eight tablets in a day, or until you have diarrhea and then you stop. And they found that you have less diarrhea with a low-dose colchicine regimen and uh, the same efficacy. But personally, I really don't tend to use colchicine that often for acute gout. I actually rarely use it because I don't find it helpful. And even in that trial, only a third of the patients who took the colchicine achieved a 50% reduction in their pain within 24 hours, which was the primary outcome of the study. So I really don't, I don't think colchicine is very effective drug for acute gout. Uh, it takes time to work and it doesn't work for most patients. So I usually use either steroids or NSAIDs. Okay, thank you. That's, that's very helpful. And last question is a question about questions, really. Apart from the ones that I've asked you, are there any common questions that you get asked about gout? And, and what are the answers to those questions? Uh, the common questions actually comes to uh, the treatment of uh, long-term treatment of gout with uric acid-lowering drug, especially with allopurinol, uh, in those patients with uh, renal insufficiency. For a long time, we had the myth that we have to uh, lower the dose of the allopurinol uh, or uh, limited in those patients with renal insufficiency. And that seems to have proven to be wrong. So you don't really have to limit your dose of the allopurinol or stop at a certain level uh, in your patients who have renal insufficiency as long as you're monitoring for side effects and there are no signs of side effects. Because really what you want to do is you, you want to try to achieve the target uric acid level and no recurrent attacks. So you want to keep tightening the dose to reach that. Otherwise, you're not benefiting from the use of allopurinol, and you might as well not use it at all. So in those patients, <clears throat> you can go up on the dose, slowly monitor, and uh, and keep going up until you reach your target uric acid level and no recurrent clinical attacks. Again, the target of below six milligram per deciliter or roughly three, 360 micromoles per liter. Um, 
<clears throat> that's one of the uh, most common thing we face. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of times patients get hospitalized and they stop the allopurinol because of their kidney function or uh, or they lower the dose and then they end up they end up having flare-ups in their gout. That's very common, commonly seen. Okay, thank you very much, Fadi, and thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope that you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and look at the content on this and other diseases. Thank you once again.